thank you uh, for this amazing story of how you called Moses uh, into your service to do your will to uh, bring about the redemption of your people out of Egypt. Lord, would your Holy Spirit be with us? Lord, I certainly feel that whole, whole thought of Moses. I am not eloquent, but Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is at work. And so we pray that you would uh, be at work in our hearts uh, as we read this word, as we think about it tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're continuing on with our wilderness saints, and uh, we are up to Moses. We've had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've looked at a couple of stories of Joseph last week, Job. And so we are literally in the wilderness right now. Um, and so let me just give you a little overview of the story of Moses. Um, you're probably familiar with it to some extent, but the first 40 years of Moses' life uh, was his birth to Hebrew parents during the first, I'm going to call it the first Holocaust, where uh, Pharaoh was killing the Jewish Hebrew male babies. Um, and his family enacted, his mother enacted a plan where uh, he was born, and they, when he was, I think, three months, they put baby Moses in a basket, and they put him down there along the Nile in the cattails and the rushes. And uh, lo and behold, they put, her, they put him over there by Pharaoh's daughter who was bathing. And she saw the baby and drew it out. And actually, Moses' name means draw to draw out, uh, kind of like Exodus. And so um, it ends up where Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses in, but he's nursed by his own mother. Um, he's raised up in Pharaoh's household. And so here's Moses, the Hebrew who's in this prominent position in Egypt. He's navigating two cultures right here. He's like a bicultural guy. And he will ultimately be the mediator between Pharaoh and Israel, but also he will be the mediator between God and man, God and Israel, foreshadowing the great mediator, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, between God and us. And so as he grows up in Pharaoh's household, he becomes like this prince in Egypt. So, you know, the Disney movie. The Disney movie. Um, and at one point, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster uh, harshly treating a Hebrew slave, and he was so angry and furious, he killed the Egyptian, buried, buried him in the sand. But that was found out due to the fear of the fact that he murdered someone. He fled from Egypt to Midian. So now he's on, you know, he's way out of bounds. He's in the desert. You know, he's in the high plains, basically, of the Sinai Peninsula. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an outlaw. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but Moses is an outlaw out there in the plains. And he, you know, he marries into this Midianite family, Jethro's takes Jethro's daughter, um, has his son with him, and he's there for 40 years. And so basically from birth to 40, he was 40 when he leaves. And now in, the, in chapter 3, this story, he's 80, okay? And the next 40 years, he will be leading the people out of Egypt and through the, the wilderness. Um, and so 
Um, you know, he's out there, but the, but the point is, is God has not forgotten Moses, even though it's been 40 years. God has a purpose for him. And so in Exodus 3, everything changes for Moses as he has his experience with God uh, in the burning bush. And so, um, so in, this, in this story tonight, we're going to look at this idea of God, um, the fact that God calls weak people for his purposes to do his redemptive plan. And I think when we think of Moses, we think of strength because we think of, you know, all of the things he did with leading the people out and the miracles. But this is the very beginning of his calling. And what we see here is someone who is very frail and fearful and questions God and his call on his life. And so um, here's what I want to look at. Uh, so the question is, how do we have the power to go or the power to be part of God's redemptive plan or to be part of God's mission. And I would say two things. First is knowing God, knowing the purifying character of God that changes you. And two, relying on God's provision. So it's two points. Second point, I'll have several sub points. Um, but let me tell you a story because as I was reading about this and just thinking about Moses's frailty and fear and all of his objections to this call of God, I thought about some of my own personal call to ministry. And some of you have heard me talk about this, but, you know, when I came out of college, I was in engineering. I was a civil engineer and I worked for a, a private engineering company and then for the State Highway Administration in Maryland. SHA, DOT, okay, in traffic engineering. And, uh, but on the side, I was very, I was involved with church ministry and the youth ministry at Liberty Presbyterian Church up in, in uh, Owings Mills, Maryland. And then I was also, I was doing Young Life. And so basically I would come home from work and then usually I was doing youth ministry uh, in some way. And so because of this, uh, because of my church involvement, uh, a couple churches asked me to like come and be their youth minister. And like one was Chapelgate. And I remember I like interviewed um, a friend of mine, an old young life friend of mine was the youth director there, a guy by the name of Newt Hetrick. And really uh, one of my mentors and disciplers in life. And uh, he wanted me to like be in charge of the high school ministry. And so I remember I went and I, and I interviewed for the job over there at Chapelgate. And I said, yes, I'm going to do it. And then 24 hours later, I was just overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, stress, probably panic. And I ended up calling him saying, Newt, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay in engineering. Okay, so I just, I kept going. And, but that was like, what is going on inside of me? And then there was another church down in Northern Virginia that asked me to come down and think about being their youth pastor. And I went down, I went down for the weekend. I got to know people and, you know, they wanted to hire me. And the same thing, I, I never said yes to that one, but I, they wanted to hire me and, but I just couldn't do it. It was like, I'm not equipped. I'm not an eloquent person. I, I don't, I, I can't do it. I feel out of control. 
And I ended up not doing that. And so this, this led me to really some serious soul seeking, some trying to, you know, talk to people and like get some counsel about like what's going on in my heart. Why do people see gifts of ministry, but yet I can't do it. Or I don't want to do it. And uh, it ultimately, this process ultimately led me to seminary uh, because I felt like deep in my heart, I needed, I needed more tools in my toolbox. I needed to really know God's word better. I, I needed to know who he was. But I think that ultimately what it was, it was a lack of faith, uh, just stepping out and, and depending on God and relying on him. And, and so I, as we look at this, this uh, story of Moses, I think you can, te- you can feel that tension uh, with Moses as well, as he is very fearful of going forward with the Lord. He, he has at least four different um, objections, okay? One is, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's in verse 10. He's got a lot of insecurities, okay? Maybe you can relate. He's, ri- he's, he's basically saying, like, I'm a nobody. Like, I can't do it. They won't let one. He's, and then he says, who are you? <laughs> if I go and they ask me, who has sent me? What is his name? Like, what should I say to them? And so he's, he's also wondering about God. And then thirdly, he says, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. Basically, I have the fear of people. They'll think I'm crazy. And then fourth, I can't speak. I'm not an eloquent man, okay? Maybe he had a stutter or, I don't know, maybe he just was a freaking out with uh, Communications 101. I don't know what he was doing, but he just couldn't. He was fearful of speaking in front of people, okay? And I can relate to all of those things. Um, but in the midst of this, um, God was calling him, and God wouldn't relent. And so... Um, how do we go? How do we answer the call? This is Moses's call, okay, to ministry. How do you answer the call and say yes to God? Um, and I think it's these two things. It's knowing God's purifying, holy character, and it's two, relying on his, his uh, presence and his provisions. And so first thing is this, knowing God is holy. Uh, and also compassionate. So the scene here is Moses is in the wilderness with Midian, in Midian with Jethro's sheep. He's a shepherd. He's been doing this for 40 years. He's leading his sheep towards Mount Sinai, right? That's going to be important later on, uh, the Mount of God. And so here he sees this burning bush, and he says, I must go over there and like look at this burning bush. I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so Moses is, again, just like, we saw with Jacob wrestling with the man of God, a theophany. Here, Moses is experiencing also another theophany, the appearance of God, the angel of God uh, in human form in the midst of this burning bush that does not burn up. And uh, 
It made me think of Jeff Walters, my old roommate, who's with the Lord now. But Jeff would gather up Christmas trees uh, in different neighborhoods. You know, when after like, you know, after New Year's, everybody puts a Christmas tree out. And uh, and like, the I don't know if you guys ever tried this, but if you ever have like a campfire and you're out in the woods or whatever, and you take an old dry Christmas tree, here's what we would do. We went on this retreat once. And we built a, like a bonfire, right? But we were able to set these Christmas trees up vertically right above the fire. And like we had like strings to keep them straight. And when that, when that pine tree uh, is over that fire, you, you just can't believe how white and bright every little twig and branch and stump of that pine lights up for a second before it totally like, you know, just crashes. I recommend, highly recommend doing this in a safe way, uh, but it's awesome. But to some extent, this burning bush is, is, is like that forever. It's not, it's not extinguishable. It's just this bright light that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And what's going on here is Moses is experiencing the fire, the purifying fire and the holiness of God. And God is telling him, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Take off your sandals, Moses. And uh, because this is holy ground, ultimately, I am holy. This huge concept of who the God of the Bible is, that God is unlike us. He is totally morally pure without sin. But it's more than that. It's his otherness. It's the fact that, like, God is all-powerful, almighty. He's controlling, controlling the entire universe all the time, forever, eternal, he is so unlike us. He's so amazing. Uh, we can't wrap our brains around him. And so in that moment, Moses is experiencing God, who God is. And so this is like a Sunday school lesson from God, that God is holy. Uh, and so uh, this is this sign, ultimately, of the burning bush is what God tells him um, this is the sign that you are to remember when you return here to worship me on this mountain after you bring the people of Egypt, uh, of Israel out of Egypt. And so the, the question is, do you know this God? Do you, do you, have you experienced the holiness of God where you know that the presence of God, there's something about this God that is different from you, that, that gives you that fear, that, that awesome fear not the fear of like, I'm afraid of you, I'm running away, but the fear of like, I need to worship you because you, you deserve it and uh, reverence and um, you, you alone are the only one worthy of our worship. And um, when you're confronted with this holy God and your sin, you're convicted of that. And you're like, no, I need to please this God because I don't want judgment. I don't want to be accountable for my sins on judgment day because you are holy and I'm not holy. I need cleansing. And so you have kind of both things going on because God is holy and he's, and his uh, judgment is real. And Moses, you know, has to take his sandals off and he's in all of this sight. But at the same time, then God begins to speak and tell about his other side of his character, his compassionate grace. And he says in verse seven, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out 
out of that land to a good and broad land and a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses is seeing also the heart of God for his people. His people are in bondage. They are suffering. And God has heard their cry. And God is remembering the promise he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob way back 400 years earlier. Okay, we've really jumped a long way since Joseph. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We've really jumped uh, fast forwarded to Exodus. But guess what? The God of the Bible knows his people. And now his people are huge. It's like three. It went down from 70 when Jacob went down to Egypt. Okay. Now they've multiplied. There's like biblical scholars believe there's probably about 3 million uh, Israelites now in Egypt uh, doing the works of Pharaoh, building the pyramids, etc. And so, but God is compassionate and God hears their cry and God desires to bring his people out of this bondage to sin. And so what's going on? Moses is having a, a, an experience of conversion, I believe. Uh, here at the burning of the bush. He is like seeing who God is. He's seeing that God is holy. He's realizing that he's got, he can't just approach God any way he wants to, that, that uh, he needs to bow to God and submit to God. And he's seeing God's compassion. And so, you know, this is what it means to be called by God into ministry, into any kind of ministry. First, you have to be captured by who God is, his holiness and his compassion and grace that's the first thing so to be on god's mission you got to know this god of the bible and you got to really know him and love him submit to him and realize who he is uh, that he's holy that you're not holy but yet he's compassionate and gracious and so um the ultimate picture of that in the bible is the lord jesus christ right full of truth holiness and grace and uh, we see at the cross where uh, God's holiness and his grace meet together. God's justice um, and his grace and love and mercy meet together at the cross as Jesus takes on the holy wrath of God, which we deserve, on himself so that we have his grace and mercy. And so, um, so what I would say to you is, like, if you've not experienced that, if you don't know who the Lord Jesus is and, like, you really sense and experience God, just simply cry out to him and say, Lord, I want that. I want to know that you are real, that God, you are holy. I want to know that I'm a sinner. I want to know that Jesus is my savior. I want to know that he loved me and he died for me and he rose for me. And I want to know that this God is my friend and he loves me and he's going to work in me. And I want to have that close relationship with my maker and creator. Just begin asking him, begin to pray. You can talk to us about that if you don't have that knowledge, um, you know, because this is the most important thing, like to know and experience this God. There's no other thing in your life that's more important, not any major, not any relationship, not any, you know, getting married or not getting married, whatever. This is number one right here, like making sure you know and love God. And so where do you, where, where else can you get help with this? Well, the word, reading the word, just like begin reading the word and asking God to like reveal yourself like you revealed yourself to Moses. Like, I want to know, I want to know that I'm, that, that you are who, who you say you are and that uh, I need you and I'm desperate for you. 
and go to church and hear the preaching of the word and and the sacraments and prayer and fellowship. I mean, these are the places we put ourselves where God's spirit specifically works, okay? God's spirit works anywhere, but specifically it works in the church, through other Christians, in fellowship, prayer, the word, those kind of things. Okay, all right, so that's the first thing that empowers us for mission. Moses is getting right with God. He's understanding who God is. The second thing is that God supplies our needs. God supplies our needs. We have to rely on his power and his provisions. Okay? So in this conversation with God that Moses has, um, it's, it's a, it, it reminds me a little bit of Job's conversation last week. Moses is very honest with God. And he's like saying like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. Pick somebody else. Um, <laughs> but in every attempt, in every insecurity that he brings about to God, uh, the Lord has an answer for him. And actually he's got like several answers in each little insecure attempt to get away from God's mission. Because guess what? God is going to chase his person down and he's not going to let you go. And he's going to win, and that's a good thing. But what it shows me, too, is God calls broken, feeble, fearful, weak people into his mission, okay? So, again, when you think of Moses, you're th you, we tend to think about all the amazing things he did, right? In the beginning, he's 80 years old now. He's 80. He's, like... Moses, what did you do with your life? Well, I killed a guy in Egypt, and so and I ran away. And so from the time I was 40 years old to 80 years old, I've been here in Midian in the wilderness, and I married a gal over here, and I'm a shepherd. And uh, But it's kind of like, you know, running away from what happened in Egypt, you know? There's probably, like, outlaw, like, wanted dead or alive Moses. Um I'm thinking of a lot of Clint Eastwood movies right now. Uh, but here, you know, so again, like as you go through uh, the passage, you just see all of these insecurities. But we know that God, who God calls, he also equips and he provides. And so this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God supplying what we need when we are in doubt. And so um, the first the first objection is, who am I? Who am I, Lord? I'm just, basically, I'm just a shepherd. I'm in the desert, man. I killed somebody. I'm a nobody. I'm insecure. I'm insignificant. What does God say? I will be with you. Verse 12. And this shall be the sign for you. The sign is, <laughs> I'm talking to you out of a burning bush. It's not burning up. And it's awesome purifying fire of God's holiness. And ultimately, God is trying to get him to think, it's not about you. I will be with you. And this will be your, the sign, like this holy presence, this fire of God, this judgment, fire, and this grace and compassion of God is going to be with you. And so, um, so basically, God is answering the, the you know, uh, with, I'm going to provide, I'm going to be there with you. 
Um, stop looking at yourself. Stop, stop gazing at your belly button. Because this is what we all do, right? You know, when something, when there's some task, we're like, oh, I can't do it. There's no way I can live up to that. Uh, our insecurities come out. And the Lord is trying to get him to, like, look to me, look to me. This is the sign. Look. Look how powerful and amazing this burning bush is, right? Like, this is the presence that's going to be with you. Stop looking at yourself. You keep looking at yourself. You're not going to be able to do anything. Look at me, okay? Secondly, who are you? Who are you? He says, if I go and they ask me who has sent me, what is his name? What should I say to them? Are you really who you say you are? So basically, he has doubts about God. Um, and then what does God provide in the midst of this objection? He says, I am who I am. Okay, and this is God's self-disclosing name that he uh, gives to Moses. There's nothing, there's nothing behind God as an authority, right? He's the sovereign creator, sustainer from eternity to eternity. I am, okay? Because God is, we are, right? We derive ourselves from him. We, did, we didn't create him. He created us. And so basically what, what uh, God is telling Moses is like, when, you, when they say, who sent you? God says, I am sent you. Tell them, I am sent you. And he's just saying that this is his eternal, self-sustaining, self-determining, sovereign reality, the supernatural mode of existence that the sign of the burning bush is signifying. That's from the Reformed Study Bible. Basically, his name is his uh, uh, self revelation of who he is i am what an amazing thing that's why jesus was the great i am right i'm the bread i am the good shepherd all of those i am's derive themselves from this name of god i am there's no one before me he's the ultimate and so um and he also talks about uh, i'm the god of, of abraham isaac and jacob and so i'm the one who's made this covenant with you and so they will listen to me Tell them I am has sent you. Um, so there's a lot here about God's big plan of redemption, that he's coming to redeem a people, and he's going to use Moses. If Moses would just get his eyes off himself and put his eyes on this Lord, the great I am. Okay, what else do we see? Um, and so um, when you do, so so here's the application. Like, so when you do a small group Bible study or uh, it's not just, you know, you have to remember, or when we're doing, we're preaching, we're looking at the word here at large group. We, we are, uh, we are relying on God to, to make his Holy Spirit, like, impact this word. Like, that's why, that's why, like, RUF is, we, we are about the Bible. We don't have anything to say uh, if we don't have the Bible. Okay, that what this generation, what this culture needs is like the Lord's word, the authority of who God is. That's the only hope for this culture. Um, and so when you do a Bible study, that's like powerful ministry because you're presenting God's word to people. It's not your words. Um, it's the fact that you're connected with uh, God's truth. All right, three, the third objection, they will not believe me. Okay. The, the Hebrews that are in Egypt, they're not, not going to believe me. I'm an outlaw. I was like part of Pharaoh's family. Um, they won't listen to my voice. And so then God, what does God do? He provides this staff. 
Okay, and it's a crazy little story. You like take the staff, throw it down, and it turns into a snake. And Moses runs away. I mean, it's just, and then he says, "Grab it by the tail." It like becomes a staff again. I mean, what is God doing? He's showing His ultimate God power that He can just take a staff and make it into a snake, right? And then turn it back into a staff. And put your hand in your coat. It's leprosy, and then put it back in. It's clean. Um, God is is giving him the power of signs it's not moses's power when he's in egypt doing the signs it's by the staff by the rod of god that that these these miracles and the signs of judgment come about and um so it's always not about moses it's always about god and his power and so he's saying my power is going to be with you take the staff okay um and so that's what we, the sign, what do we have? What's the sign that we have as, as believers? We have the Holy Spirit, right? The purifying Holy Spirit of God is in our lives, and that's powerful. Greater is he that is in you than he is in, that is in the world. We don't recognize that, but like, that's what the Lord is saying. Like, you have the sign, you have the Spirit in you. Um, the fourth objection, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent, Okay, I can't. And then he ultimately says, send some. Uh, oh, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. This is Moses. Okay. Not up for the task in his own life, in his own abilities. But God is saying, I will provide. I'm going to give you abilities. And so what's he do? He provides a partner. Okay. He says, Aaron, he's your friend, right? He's excited to see you. I know that he can speak well. Uh, I will put words in your mouth and in his mouth. So basically, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you the words to say. You tell Aaron, and Aaron will speak my word. And he also says that ultimately, I'm the one who made the mouth. I'm the one who made the eyes, okay? I'm the one who makes, makes the ears. And I can do what I want, and I'm going to give, I'm going to make my word powerful in your mouth, even though you think you can't speak well. It's going to be my work, not your work, so that God gets the glory. And so for those of you that are, you know, when you, you know, when you think about like witnessing, right? When you think about telling someone the gospel or trying to take a person from point A to point B a little bit closer, like, you know, with some sort of spiritual conversation, remember, it's like when you speak the truth, like the Holy Spirit's with you um, and he's going to make that word powerful. Okay, he's going to make that word powerful because that's what he does by his spirit. So have confidence in that. And I, I'm preaching to myself as well. Um, but um, as we think about this picture of Aaron, you know, Aaron was a Levite. Um, and I couldn't help think about how this is also a pointer to the ultimate Levite, the ultimate priest, the high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is God provides a helper for Moses, Aaron, to help him speak. A Levite, okay, who would be the first priest. And ultimately, our helper, our ultimate helper, you know, is our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came through Aaron. And so in the gospel, Jesus, the great high priest, the Levite priest, turns away God's anger from us by his death on the cross, taking our sin. So our great high priest sacrifices not a lamb, but himself. And so what is, 
what's God saying in all of these questions and all of these insecurities that Moses has? Um, he's ultimately saying, I will provide. Um, don't look to yourself. Look outside yourself to me. Look to Jesus ultimately for us, the author and the perfecter of our faith, uh, who went and endured the cross, the scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So I love this passage because it really shows us the frailty of one of the heroes of the Bible that committed murder, that ran away, that was an outlaw, that was in the wilderness, and God went to the wilderness and met him and got him back into his game, into the mission. And so, you know, wherever you are, if you're feeling out of it, you're feeling like, man, there's just like this sin that I'm dealing with and like I'm out of the game. I can't like whip this, whatever. Just start crying out to God to help you. Just start asking him to like forgive you and make you a vessel for him again and start looking to him. Start looking to his word. Um, you know, what happens next is Moses leaves Midian with his wife and son and on the way to Egypt, God wants to kill him. You know why? Because he didn't circumcise his son. <laughs> so we have, so like, you know, Abraham was called to do that. Moses was supposed to do that too. And he forgot, or he didn't do it. And he was literally going to be killed by God. And it shows us even after he answers the call and he starts going, Moses is still a sinner, but God works with him. Uh, Moses continues to learn and grow uh, in faith and grow in repentance. And God uses him in an amazing way, doesn't he? To bring his people out of Egypt, lead them through the wilderness. But then because of his sin uh, of striking the rock twice, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. He sees it from afar, but he doesn't get to go into it. But um, ultimately his people do go to the promised land. And so, um, you know, the, I think the application of this is what is God calling you to do? Um, are you engaged in his big redemptive plan? Like is your story, your little story in God's big story of, you know, creation, fall, redemption, glory. And Moses clearly was, was kind of running away from that, but God called him back and God used him to be a player in that huge story. And that's really what God is calling all of us to do. Jesus, I mean, the great commission is basically our call to go. Just like Moses went to Egypt, we're called to go to other people, to the nations, okay, to neighbors, the people around us with the gospel and to tell them about Jesus, tell them about who this great and amazing and wonderful, awesome God is and how he can help you <laughs> and forgive your sins and give you a clean conscience and give you hope and give you eternal life. And so, um, yeah, we're all insecure. We're all sinners. Jesus loves insecure sinners. He came to die for us and to help us and empower us. And so that's what I want to leave you with tonight. Let me pray. Lord, thank you uh, just for this time together. That was a lot of material covered, a huge chapter. But Lord, some, some basic things that we really need to know that you meet us in our insecurities and you provide for us in the midst of those to do your will and to follow you. Lord, uh, 
We confess our sins and our idols that keep us back. Lord, help us, grow us uh, in you to do your will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so when we break for...